Section thirty one of A Romance of Two Worlds by Marie Corelli. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter sixteen, part three A Struggle for the Mastery. We had now reached the hall, and the servants were assembling by twos and threes. They glanced at their master with looks of awe as he took up a commanding position near the fountain and faced them with a glance of calm scrutiny and attention. I drew a chair behind one of the marble columns and seated myself, watching everything with interest. Leo appeared from some corner or other and laid his rough body down close at his master's feet. In a few minutes all the domestics, some twenty in number, were present, and Heliobas, raising his voice, spoke with a clear, deliberate enunciation. I have sent for you all this morning because I am perfectly aware that you have all determined to give me notice. A stir of astonishment and dismay ensued on the part of the small audience, and I heard one voice near me whisper, He is the devil, or how could he have known it? The lips of Heliobas curled in a fine, sarcastic smile. He went on, I spare you this trouble, knowing your intentions I take upon myself to dismiss you at once. Naturally, you cannot risk your characters by remaining in the service of the devil. For my own part, I wonder the devil's money has not burnt your hands, or his food turned to poison in your mouths. My sister, your kind and ever-indulgent mistress, is dead. You know this, and it's your opinion that I summoned up the thunderstorm which caused her death. Be it so, report it so, if you will, through Paris. Your words do not affect me. You have been excellent machines, and for your services many thanks. As soon as my sister's funeral is over, your wages, with an additional present, will be sent to you. You can then leave my house when you please, and contrary to the usual custom of accepted devils, I am able to say, without perishing in the effort, God speed you all. The faces of those he addressed exhibited various emotions while he spoke, fear contending with a good deal of shame. The little Greek page stepped forward timidly. The master knows that I will never leave him, he murmured, and his large eyes were moist with tears. Heliobas laid a gentle hand on the boy's dark curls, but said nothing. One of the four Armenians advanced, and with a graceful, rapid gesture of his right hand, touched his head and breast. My lord will surely not dismiss us who desire to devote ourselves to his service. We are willing to follow my lord to the death if need be, for the sake of the love and honor we bear him. Heliobas looked at him very kindly. I am richer in friends than I thought myself to be, he said quietly. Stay then by all means, Aphra, you and your companions, since you have desired it. And you, my boy, he went on addressing the tearful page, think you that I would turn adrift an orphan whom a dying mother trusted to my care? Nay, child, I am as much your servant as you are mine, so long as your love turns towards me. For all answer the page kissed his hand in a sort of rapture, and flinging back his clustering hair from his classic brows, surveyed the domestics, who had taken their dismissal and silent acquiescence, with a pretty scorn. "'Go, all of you scum of Paris!' he cried in his clear, troubled tones. "'You who know neither God nor devil, you will have your money more than your share. What else seek you? You have served one of the noblest of men.' and because he's so great and wise and true you judge him a fiend oh so like the people of paris they who pervert all things till they think good evil and evil good look you 
You have worked for your wages, but I have worked for him. I would starve with him. I would die for him. For to me he is not fiend, but angel. Overcome by his own feelings, the boy again kissed his master's hand, and Heliobas gently bade him be silent. He himself looked round on the still motionless group of servants with an air of calm surprise. "'What are you waiting for?' he asked. "'Consider yourselves dismissed and at liberty to go where you please. Any one of you that chooses to apply to me for a character shall not lack the suitable recommendation. There is no more to say.' A lively-looking woman, with quick restless black eyes, stepped forward. "'I am sure,' she said with a mincing curtsy, that we are very sorry if we have unintentionally wronged monsieur but monsieur who is aware of so many things must know that many reports are circulated about monsieur that makes one to shudder that madame his sister's death so lamentable has given to all what one would say the horrors and monsieur must consider that poor servants of virtuous reputation so jean claudette interrupted heliobas in a thrilling low tone and what of the child, the little waxen-faced helpless babe, left to die on the banks of the Loire? But it did not die, Jeanne, and it was rescued, and it shall live to loathe its mother. The woman uttered a shriek and fainted. In the feminine confusion and fuss that ensued, Heliobas, accompanied by his little page and the dog Leo, left the hall and entered his own private room, where for some time I left him undisturbed. In the early part of the afternoon, a note was brought to me. It was from Colonel Everard, entreating me to come as soon as possible to his wife, who was very ill. Since she heard of the death of that beautiful young lady, a death so fearfully sudden and unexpected, wrote the Colonel, she has been quite unlike herself, nervous, hysterical, and thoroughly unstrung. It will be a real kindness to her if you will come as soon as you can. She has such a strong desire for your company." I showed this note at once to Heliobas. He read it and said, "'Of course you must go. Wait till our simple funeral ceremony is over, and then we part. Not forever. I shall see you often again. For now I have lost Zara. You are my only female disciple, and I shall not willingly lose sight of you. You will correspond with me?' "'Gladly and gratefully,' I replied. "'You shall not lose by it.' I can initiate you into many secrets that will be useful to you in your career. As for your friend, Mrs. Everard, you will find that your presence will cure her. You have progressed greatly in electric force. The mere touch of your hand will soothe her, as you will find. But never be tempted to try any of the fluids of which you have recipes on her, or on anybody but yourself, unless you write to me first about it, as Cellini did when he tried an experiment on you. As for your own bodily and spiritual health, you know thoroughly what to do. Keep the secret, and make a step in advance every day. By and by you will have double work. How so? I asked. In Zara's case her soul became dominated by a spirit whose destiny was fulfilled and perfect, and who never could descend to imprisonment in earthly clay. Now you will not be dominated. You will be simply equalized. That is, you will find the exact counterpart of your own soul, dwelling also in human form, and you will have to impart your own force to that other soul, which will, in its turn, impart to yours a corresponding electrical impetus. There is no union so lovely as such an one, no harmony so exquisite. 
it is like a perfect chord complete and indissoluble there are seventh and ninths in music beautiful and effective in their degrees but perhaps none of them are so absolutely satisfying to the ear as the perfect chord and this is your lot in life and in love my child be grateful for it night and morning on your bended knees before the giver of all good and walk warily your own soul with that other shall need much thought and humble prayer aim onward and upward you know the road you also know and you have partly seen what awaits you at the end after this conversation we spoke no more in private together the rest of the afternoon was entirely occupied with the final preparations for zara's funeral which was to take place at pere la chaise early the next morning a large and beautiful wreath of white roses lilies and maidenhair arrived from prince ivan and remembering my promise to him i went myself to lay it in a conspicuous place on zara's corpse that fair body was now laid in its coffin of polished oak and a delicate veil of filmy lace draped it from head to foot the placid expression of the features remained unchanged save for a little extra rigidity of the flesh the hands folded over the crucifix were stiff and looked as though they were moulded in wax i placed the wreath in position and paused looking wistfully at that still and solemn figure father paul slowly entering from a side door came and stood beside me she is happy he said and a cheerful expression irradiated his venerable features did you also know she would die that night i asked softly her brother sent for me and told me of her expected dissolution she herself told me and made her last confession and communion therefore i was prepared but did you not doubt were you not inclined to think they might be wrong i inquired with some astonishment i knew heliobas as a child the priest returned I knew his father and mother before him, and I have been always perfectly aware of the immense extent of his knowledge and the value of his discoveries. If I were inclined to be sceptical on spiritual matters, I should not be of the race I am, for I am also a Chaldean. I said no more, and Father Paul trimmed the tapers burning round the coffin in devout silence. Again I looked at the fair dead form before me, but somehow I could not feel sad again. All my impulses bade me rejoice. Why should I be unhappy on Zara's account? More especially when the glories of the central sphere were yet fresh in my memory, and when I knew as a positive fact that her happiness was now perfect. I left the chapel with a light step and lighter heart, and went to my own room to pack up my things, that all might be in readiness for my departure on the morrow. On my table I found a volume, whose quaint binding I at once recognized, the letters of a dead musician. A card lay beside it, on which was written in pencil, Knowing of your wish to possess this book, I herewith offer it for your acceptance. It teaches you a cheerful devotion to art, and an indifference to the world's opinions, both of which are necessary to you in your career. Heliobus. Delighted with this gift, I opened the book, and found my name written on the fly-leaf, with the date of the month and year, and the words, La musica e il lamento dell'amore, o la preghiera, agli dii. Music is the lament of love, or a prayer to the gods. I placed this treasure carefully in a corner of my portmanteau, together with the parchment scrolls containing the electric principle of Christianity, 
and the valuable recipes of Heliobas, and as I did so I caught sight of myself in the long mirror that directly faced me. I was fascinated, not by my own reflection, but by the glitter of the electric gem I wore. It flashed and glowed like a star, and was really lovely, far more brilliant than the most brilliant cluster of fine diamonds. I may here remark that I have been asked many questions concerning this curious ornament, whenever I have worn it in public, and the general impression has been that it is some new arrangement of ornamental electricity. It is, however, nothing of the kind. It is simply a clear pebble, common enough on the shores of tropical countries, which has the property of absorbing a small portion of the electricity in a human body, sufficient to make it shine with prismatic and powerful lustre, a property which has only as yet been discovered by Heliobus, who asserts that the same capability exists in many other apparently lustreless stones which have been untried and are therefore unknown. The healing stones or amulets still in use in the east and also in the remote parts of the highlands, see notes to Archibald Clerk's translation of Ossian, are also electric, but in a different way they have the property of absorbing disease and destroying it in certain cases, and these, after being worn a suitable length of time, naturally exhaust what virtue they originally possessed, and are no longer of any use. Stone amulets are considered nowadays as a mere superstition of the vulgar and uneducated, but it must be remembered that superstition itself has always had for it a foundation, some grain, however small and remote, of fact. I could give a very curious explanation of the formation of orchids, those strange plants called sometimes freaks of nature, as if nature ever indulged in a freak of any kind. But I have neither time nor space to enter upon the subject now. Indeed, if I were once to begin to describe the wonderful, amazing, and beautiful vistas of knowledge that the wise Chaldean, who is still my friend and guide, has opened up and continued to extend before my admiring vision, a work of twenty volumes would scarce contain all I should have to say. But I have written this book merely to tell those who peruse it about Heliobus, and what I myself experienced in his house. Beyond this I may not go, for as I observed in my introduction, I am perfectly aware that few, if any, of my readers will accept my narrative as more than a mere visionary romance, or that they will admit the mysteries of life, death, eternity, and all the wonders of the universe, to be simply the natural and scientific outcome of a ring of everlasting electric heat and light. But whether they agree to it or no, I can say with Galileo, E. Piercy, Muovi. End of section 31